Welcome to the Stoll Community of Faith podcast. The Stoll Community of Faith Church is located where we like to say Topeka and Lawrence meet at 1596 East 250 Road. Our new pastor, Kyle Scheidemann, will begin on January 1st, 2023. So may you be blessed as you listen to our guest speaker this Sunday, Pastor Ed Piepergertis. We've already been blessed. Uh, how can you uh, follow that children's moment? Uh, that was just mighty special. And Pam and I are shepherd, and she's the shepherdess. We raised Jacob's sheep, which they say go back to the 20th chapter of Genesis, where Jacob had a flock of spotted sheep. That might be a stretch. I don't know. But um, we understand what it means to be shepherds of the flock. And we know that if any one of those lambs is ever gone, we'll search that entire farm for that lamb. So do you understand how difficult it must have been for this poor shepherds tending their flocks to leave that flock and yet go on the mission that they were called to go on? Um, For that angel came to them and gave them a message, a message of glad tidings, of great joy. And today's the third Sunday of Advent when we celebrate joy. And I've talked about a theme of rejoicing, and I will share some rejoicing from my life with you. I'm not going to really introduce myself because as I go through this and share with myself, you'll know who I am. Uh, You'll know the experiences that I've had and what basically makes me tick. But the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Even to poor little miserable shepherds, uh, they were considered dishonest, kind of dirty, kind of in the caste system at that time, not very important. But he also sent a star to the wise men, seers, revelators, prophets, uh, that all were called to witness that joy which was in David, uh, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then the angels told them how they would find him. And suddenly there was with the angel a heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Advent is a time of preparation a time when we are approaching the birth of Jesus, a time when we need to prepare and prep ourselves for his coming. There are basically three parts to Advent, and I have chosen a scripture from Isaiah, uh, which goes way back in the Old Testament when the Jews were in Babylonian captivity, and they had been all through Isaiah, the prophecies were... Uh, the punishment upon them for turning from God and the sin that was upon them and this would happen and these things were bad and so forth. And then we get towards the end of Isaiah, probably even a different prophet by according to biblical scholars, and all of a sudden we have the 35th and the 36th chapters. Oh, here's something completely different. Here's something of hope. Here's something that pertains to Advent. And I will paraphrase and read some of this 31st chapter. The wilderness 
and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Well, after Jesus was born, Lebanon did return to fertility. Uh, with the help of irrigation and so forth, it returned to a fruitful land. And yet, this isn't pertaining strictly, this chapter, to the advent of Jesus in Bethlehem. It's, there's actually three parts to Advent. Jesus came, that's what we're gonna celebrate in a couple of weeks. Jesus comes. Now, that's what I wanna talk about today. Jesus comes to your heart and to my heart. We have to open that heart and allow him in. That is an Advent as we approach him coming into our heart. And the third part is, uh, Jesus will come, uh, will return in power to usher in his kingdom. So this 35th Isaiah is basically talking about all of these. Uh, it's talking about he came, he comes, and he will come. It shall blossom abundantly and reprise even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. Carmel and Sharon were very frugal uh, regions that Lebanon would return to. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. For behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. And then one of the most beautiful things in scripture of what's going to happen when he comes. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as his heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. And the inhabitants of dragons, where each lay, shall be grasped with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, for a way shall be cast up, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass upon it. No lions shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. A highway, a path for the redeemed to walk unto Zion. And now I'm going to suggest that you look at Advent as a journey. Advent is a journey. It's a journey that we are on as we approach the uh, call of the shepherds, as, or the call of the angels, as we approach what the, what the shepherds went to see. And uh, Advent is a journey. And I would like for each of you to think about that in the next couple of weeks. We're already halfway through it. Uh, I want you to take that journey. Uh, go for a walk by yourself. Uh, you know, this morning, we left early because of the weather. Absolutely spectacular beauty. And uh, in our church, we have what's called the Enduring Principles. These are principles that Jesus taught. You won't find them in a single scripture, but when you study the entire message that he gave, one of these is the sacredness of all creation. I could not help but feel that sacredness this morning as we drove through the frost, covering all the trees, the underbrush, uh, the sheer incredible magnitude of beauty, and I couldn't also help but feel the responsibility to be a steward over that blessing to me and to you. So, um, 
the journey that we're on is a journey to give unto God the stuff that pulls us down. Not, life is not a bed of roses. It never is. We get flu, like I had last week. Uh, you know, bad things happen to good people. And uh, these things are just part of it. Apostle Paul said, these things have no bearing upon you. They are not even to be reckoned with the glories of heaven. Uh, and so, on this journey, Jesus said, give me your baggage. Give me the stuff that weighs you down. Give me the fear that you live with. Go in faith. Um, and that, that is really the message that we take. And I came across this little reading. In each heart there lies a Bethlehem. Okay? In your heart, in my heart, there is a Bethlehem. And in where we must ultimately answer whether there is room or not. Do you have room in your inn for that Jesus? When we are Bethlehem bound, we experience our own advent in His. When we are Bethlehem bound, we can no longer look the other way. Conveniently not seeing stars, not hearing angel voices, we can no longer excuse ourselves by busily tending our sheep and our kingdoms. You see, we're on a journey. We're Bethlehem bound. This Advent, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us in the midst of shopping sprees. Let's ponder in the hearts of gifts of gifts. Through the tinsel, let's look for the gold of the Christmas star. In the excitement and confusion and the merry chaos, let's listen for the brush of angels' wings. This Advent, let's go to Bethlehem and find our kneeling places. Now, on that Christmas morn, I would encourage each of you, uh, maybe before you unwrap presents and do these things, uh, find that kneeling spot. Get on your knees. There is a certain humility which is mentioned in the scriptures hundreds of times. Uh, get on your knees in that Bethlehem and allow the birth of Jesus to enter into your heart. I want to share a little bit of uh, what that journey has been for me. And uh, I know you just heard a little bit of this, and uh, some of you, but most, most of you have never seen me before. And uh, my journey started when I basically was two and a half years old. So I appreciate the little girl. I think she's a little older than that. Uh, yeah. But uh, at two and a half years old, I was stricken with rheumatic fever. Uh, I grew up in a little farming community of Stewartsville. I went to a little church. That's why I love this here today. Uh, I went to a little church called Maple Grove, a little country church out in the middle of nowhere. It's still there. They have five people there now. And yet they ministered to so many people over the years. Uh, it was where I learned this angel message, where I learned about Jesus. But when I was stricken with rheumatic fever, I was, uh, it, it was strep infection in the days before penicillin. 
uh, it went right to my heart. The doctors feared that I wouldn't survive. I came down with a horrible ear infection along with that, and the pain was just incredible. My parents were frantic, uh, and they did. The only thing that they knew how to do, as the book of James in the Bible says, when there are sick among you, call the elders of my church, and they will lay their hands upon you and anoint your head with oil and offer the prayer of faith over you. That's what they did. And the elders came, laid their hands on my head. There's no power in the oil. It's the power of God through his sacrament. But as they prayed for this little sick boy, immediately the pain left in that ear. Now for a young child, that's not emotionalism. That was real. I was healed. Well, all my life, I gave God the credit for that. And yet there was another factor of that healing which I didn't realize until a couple of years ago. My mother, the treatment for that was to lay on your back for 12 weeks. Oh, right. Keep a two-and-a-half-year-old down in bed for 12 weeks. Uh, I used to lay there with a picture of Christ behind me, which now resides in my bedroom. None of the other kids wanted it, but for me, it's where I drew strength. Well, Mom had a lot of wisdom. She kept a record of everything that everyone did in that community for that sick little boy. This family brought little toy spinners. This family sent a card. All of the churches in town had prayer services. It didn't matter what your denomination was. They all had prayer services to pray for Donna Bills. And so I begin to understand another of the enduring principles, the blessings of community. And that's why you're here today, to be blessed. Your presence is bringing ministry, perhaps just to the person sitting next to you, but to somebody, your presence is meaningful and bringing ministry. And yes, I understood then uh, the power of a blessed community. Well, over the years, I was strengthened. I had a murmur for years, but it also created within me the drive and the desire that I had to succeed. When I was in grade school, all the other kids would run a mile as part of PE. I'd bring a note from home that you can't do this, it's a doctor's excuse, you can't run it. I tore it up, ran a mile and won, um, because I was gonna prove that I was, could do anything that any other kid could do. And over the years, I made a vow to my Heavenly Father. I said, God, I will keep myself in the best shape that I can. 
I will make my heart as strong as it can possibly be. Last year I rode a bicycle 5,000 miles. And uh, I'm not saying that to brag. It's way more important than that to me than that. I say that because I've actually got a lot of plaque in my heart. But the doctor said, your lifestyle has saved your life. It's kept you from being split open or dead. Go and ride your bike. So, I give praise to God, but I work hard at doing what I did. Now, Brenna, Brent, is that right, Brenna? Okay, uh, sent me emails and I appreciate that very much. And uh, I try to catch little glimpses in that of, of, of your group. And one of the things I, I kind of got out of that was your excitement, your excitement to have a new pastor, your excitement to get back in your building. Susan shared a lot of that this morning, uh, how you're all excited, looking forward to that. And Brenna mentioned that, you know, even, even looking forward to growth. Okay, I'm gonna tell you about growing a little congregation. Um, when I was called into the priesthood, uh, I was about nine years old and uh, my dad uh, was a priest and was called upon to share a sermon. Dad could not speak in public. He absolutely, he couldn't express. But I would watch him at home go into his little study there. We were poor farmers. We had very, very little. And yet, Dad would write, read his Bible every night. And he stood up to speak. I was a little boy squirming around in the back. Dad couldn't say a word. He finally just sat down. And I was crushed because I knew the pain that he was in, not being able to express himself. And I simply said, God, let me do that for him. Well, I totally forgot about that, blew it off. Until years later, when the apostle came to my house and said, you are called to the office of 70. A 70 is, the 70s went out two by two in the New Testament to spread the gospel, to share in a very visible type of manner, in an evangelistic manner, to bear in a special witness of the Lord Jesus. And I'd been given those experiences to bear that witness and that testimony. And so I did. But one of the things involved in that was becoming pastor of our little congregation. Well, first the church told us, nah, we don't want you to build a church in case you fail. No, that's a negative type of connotation. We're not going to fail. We're going to build a church. And so we built a little rectangular building that maybe seat 50 people dripping, you know, if you really packed them in. And uh, we, we were in that for quite a while and struggled along. <coughs> and, uh, and then I, I became pastor. And I uh, have always felt planning was overrated and my wife has to throw a net on me and reel me in most of the time, and wisely so because I tend to just do stuff. And uh, so I said, okay. <coughs> I said to the congregation, if they're not going to come in the door, we're going to go get them. We're going to set up a bus program. And they said, Ed, you're crazy. I said, well, I know, but we're going to do that anyway. 
And uh, back then we had women's groups and we had men's groups. Well, our men's group bought a bus. Some old rattly trap that we spent all our time maintaining, trying to make it run. One guy had a paint shop in the city, painted that bus a beautiful shades of the World Church colors, blue and, and gold. Uh, our theme song was, we're raising a flag for the Lord. I don't know if you know that little campfire song. Uh, Joy is a love that's flown in the castle of my heart. Uh, in the castle of my heart, in the castle of my heart, and the Lord is in residence here. I thought, okay, we'll, we'll teach that song to these kids. And so we got this bus. Guess what? Nothing happened. Nobody rode. So I started going out every Saturday. And it's not that I was not a busy person. I was a veterinarian. I worked 24-7. We've always been lay ministers. Um, so I went out every Saturday, knocked on doors. Well, thank you for coming, but no, we don't want to go. Okay, well, now go to the next door. Okay, I did that for a few weeks. Nothing. And kind of out of desperation, I said, Okay, God, you know, when all else fails, ask God to lead you. I said, Okay, God, how do we do this? What do we do? And the thought came to my mind, and you can call it a random thought if you want. I prefer to call it divine inspiration. I said, Take a kid with you. Hmm, okay. So I'd go to a kid and I'd say, hey, how many friends you got that you know? A whole bunch. Well, how many of them go to church? Well, not very many. Well, you want to go with me and invite them to church and ride the bus? Sure. <laughs> you see, kids got no hang-ups. So we would go, knock on their door. Johnny, can you come to church with me and ride the bus this week? Sure. Okay, in three weeks. We took that ridership from three to 43. Okay, now we've got a real problem. We bring 43 kids into the church that have never been in church before. Ooh, what are we going to do? Well, we overwhelmed the size of our structure, so I had to split services into two. I had a traditional service at 9 o'clock and more of a service for those kids at 11. The problem was a lot of people preferred to go to that first one because they were too comfortable in their pews. Now, I know you're all the workers here. I've already been told that. Uh, and congratulations. Because even when the Jews were coming out of Babylonia, uh, the little prophet Hedekiah, he said, you know, God doesn't need you. He wanted to build, that, build the temple back. He said, God doesn't need your money. All the people of the world to give their money and jewels. He needs your hands, man. He needs your hands. That's what he needs. And so, um, another thought I said, okay, then we will um, adopt kids. So families that are there at 11 adopt some kids to take care of during church. So they did. And then I thought, okay, a little sandwich service probably isn't going to catch it there at 11. What can we do to make this enjoyable for those kids. And then I thought, okay, we got a fantastic artist in this congregation. And so I asked him, I said, hey, can you come and draw that sermon when it's spoken? Well, sure. Those little kids would draw their own and they would just sit there totally engulfed in what was happening. And so 
we grew. We had one of the fastest growing congregations in our church. And that next summer came to the point where I said, okay, we need to send these kids to camp. And they said, Ed, you're crazy. I said, I know. <laughs> but we need to send these kids to camp. They need that experience. Isolated in nature with God. Okay? Hmm. Um, how are we going to do that? That's costly. And back then, it was a lot of money. I said, well, I'm going to give five bucks to every woman in the congregation. The men bought the bus and painted it. You take that five bucks and multiply your talents, the gifts of the talents, and so, and raise money so we can send these kids to camp. So they did. Some of the things they did were so incredibly creative. If you unleash the creative skills of people, man, it's neat. It is really exciting. One had a Gaither music contest where they played Gaither music and had tables set up and you paid a fee and so forth. One had a volleyball tournament, invited teams from town and charged them a fee to participate. Another one had a con uh, con concession stand there that then sold goods and so forth. Some of them made and knitted and all these kinds of things. And uh, the kids even thought that it would be wonderful if the pastor wore a devil's tail. And so they took a tail and the ladies sewed, sewed quarters in that tail to hold it open and I had to wear this long bad tail. And then we came to the uh, conclusion of that where we turned in our monies and we found out that we had 43 kids to go to camp. The bill was a thousand four hundred and forty-eight dollars. That was a lot of money back then. So we all turned the money in. They said, well, Ed, what are you going to do if we don't make enough money? I said, oh, God will give, God will provide a way. We turned it in. We ended up with a thousand four hundred and fifty-six dollars. I don't know why he gave us eight dollars to spare. I guess seed money. But you see, when you let that Jesus into your heart, you can grow if you want to grow. If you have the unity of spirit, which I sense you do, then you can grow. Okay, and those are the people that are going to be on that journey to Jerusalem, I mean to Bethlehem with you. Who else might be on that journey? Well, we have another principle called all are called. Jesus called everyone. He didn't discriminate because of race, because of orientation or any of these things. He called everyone. That's what he did. And uh, I know that some of you know, and I've read this because it was all over the news recently. Any Chiefs fans here? <laughs> you just got her shirt on, yeah. Um, you ever heard of Justin Watson, a receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs? And Justin Watson has bounced around, but he's kind of found a home with the Chiefs. He's playing phenomenal football. He's six foot four, a total specimen of a man. 
Well, Justin Watson has a brother. And I always appreciate the skill of anybody and their, and, and their chosen expertise, but I also appreciate the human inner stories behind it. Well, Justin has a brother who was born with severe cerebral palsy. He can't speak except for grunting sounds. He can't walk. He can't uh, um, see. He's blind. Uh, he's deaf. Well, no, I take it back. He does hear. And, uh, and yet, that family, their life has been centered around Johnny. Any place they went, they planned their events with him in mind. It finally got to where he grew so much that they had to put him in a home with others where he could be taken care of. Well, Justin was a senior in high school, super athlete, and he came home one day, and man, he was complaining. My shoes don't fit, I got blisters on my feet, and oh man, and he walked in, and there's Johnny who grunts, and he, they made communication sounds back and forth, and all of a sudden the entire room lights up with joy. The entire room. And Justin said, from now on, there is no such thing as a bad day. There is no bad days. Because Johnny, if he could, he would run until his feet were bloody raw. And then he would pass out with collapsing, and as soon as he could, he'd get up and do it again. He's their angel. How many angels do we know? All are called. Yes, another one very similar to that is the worth of all people. Pam and I went to Haiti in 1984 on a mission. We went to Haiti because Outreach International, which we supported, uh, had several projects there, and their, their mission is not to just give them a handout, it's to train them to be able to sustain the water supplies and so forth, to be able to do it. And so we were there in 1984 at Monte Lavoux on Thanksgiving Day. Monte Lavoux was a nutrition center for the poorest of the poor. And as I stood there, this gentleman came up, about that big around, and he had a little girl with him. And he said, here. He wanted me to hold his little daughter. <coughs> okay. She was a quasi-orcor baby. Third degree malnutrition, pitting edema of her limbs. And uh, he was just beaming that somebody from Outreach would, would, they were so appreciative of what we had done for them. But yet what they did for us, far more important, far beyond what we could have ever done. Well, I finally, everybody took their pictures. I gave that little girl back. I had to leave the group. <coughs> I wept. 
I completely wept. I lost it. And I said, God, what chance does that little girl have? And God said, the chance is in establishing a building of my kingdom. So go and do your part in establishing that kingdom. And that's what Isaiah was talking about. That's the chance for her to return to wholeness. Did she make it? Probably not. But even two weeks ago when we sat down in Seattle with our son and his friends for dinner, every Thanksgiving, the same thing. I think of that little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Do our part. Well, I said I'd get you out of here for a two o'clock party. <laughs> um, the journey that we take um, is a journey that brings us in contact with so many people. Another one of those principles is unity and diversity. A friend of mine called Ed Chastain just passed away. Ed was the leader of a Greater Liberty Bicycle Riders group. You know him. Yeah. Um, Ed meant the entire world to me because I'm a bicycle rider. I was in Ed's group. We rode every Saturday, and I'm so hardcore, I would ride if it was zero. And a lot of times, Ed and I were the only ones at breakfast. He would sag and go to breakfast with us. We talked. He was a second Baptist, one of the most devout guys I've ever met. And I'm community of Christ, but our philosophies on life were almost parallel exactly. And uh, Ed uh, had a hate busters group. If there were crimes committed against humanity, hate crimes, his group would go in. Pam and I supported him financially. And they would bring ministry to the victims. When the crosses were burned in Kansas City, they would go in and bring ministry to those victims. Uh, he also had what was called the World Family Reunion. And the reason I mention this is because Pam and I participated in this for him. <clears throat> he would assign a couple or individuals to someone else who was 180 or if not 360 degrees different than you. Um, and in this group, he had people from every walk of life imaginable. He had Hindus, he had Muslims, he had Sheikhs, he had uh, every denomination that we know of. Uh, he had Jews, he had atheists. And what he would do is pair us up. Well, he paired Pam and, us up, Pam and I up with Ahmed and Maliki, uh, a couple from Turkey, way younger than us. That was part of his deal, too. Um, and uh, gave us all emails that we would share back and forth. And I shared many of the things I'm sharing with you today with them through that. Uh, and as we shared back and forth, that wasn't good enough for me. I wanted to meet them before our final get-together and celebration of the World Family Reunion. So we invited them up to our place. And they came. 
Well, I didn't even know how to greet a Muslim woman. So I asked Ahmed, I said, you know, what do I do? I mean, I can't go give her a hug. I mean, I, he said, well, a simple hello works pretty good. <laughs> you see, we kind of make things way more difficult than they really are sometimes. And so they came up and uh, she just stuck her hand out to shake my hand. We had a great meal. And I said, you know, we got some baby lambs out here, an orphan. And they had a little four-year-old girl. I said, would she like to go feed that lamb? Well, yeah. So we go out, she takes a bottle, starts feeding that little baby lamb. Pam and I just kind of backed up. Parents are down there and they're all firing away their camera and the grandparents and they were all firing away their cameras. And this little girl's smile was, I'm telling you, it can't get bigger than that. And she was so happy. And I thought, you know, what's the difference? They believe in Allah. I believe in God. Same thing. Different name. Some of their teachings are very similar to Christianity teachings. They don't drink. They're very, very dedicated people to education. Um, they were in biomechanical engineering or something, electrical engineering. Um, and yet, they love their kids just like we love our kids. And yet I know that Jesus said, this message is to all people. And I also know that even Jesus went into the pit, hell or prison to preach and teach the gospel to those so that they could hear as people on the earth. Because never everybody has that opportunity here on the earth. And they cannot be condemned for that. Uh, because they will have an opportunity to hear at some time in God's own time and in His way. But I found a, a commonality of humankind with those people. Now, I'm going to close with a little illustration of a holiday parade. Well, Excelsior had a holiday parade. And there's a reason they call it holiday parade now. Because as I watched that, I got really distressed. I mean, glitzy lights all over in the sheets that hang over the cars and the floats and candy canes and Santa Clauses and all of this. And I thought, ooh, man, am I missing something here? Uh, where is that Bethlehem? Well, this went on and on and on. That was it. And then all of a sudden, I was looking to the east. And I think, wait a minute, I think I see a star. I think I see a star, but the crowd was in my way. I couldn't see very well. So I pushed through the crowd. There it came. There was a star over a rickety old manger on a float. And Mary and Joseph and a little baby and following them was two live camels, <laughs> lit up with white lights, bows on their tails. And these camels were trudging along just as happy as they could be. And then came the wise men, and they had their gifts. And then came the shepherds, whose staffs were lit up. I envisioned those shepherd staffs being pretty bright when they went to find that baby Jesus. And you know what? 
ask anybody in Excelsior Springs what part of that parade touched them, and that's what it would be. So, as we go, consider this prayer, and I close with this. Still at last, dear Lord, I come to you. Weary from the busyness of a thousand things which clamor for attention, but longing to feel your touch afresh. This Christmas time, kindle in me a love for you which finds time for you, which responds to you, which yearns for your return. Cause my heart to leap for joy. <clears throat> and when times are hard, or my body is tired, bring me to Christmas Day, not irritated with the commercialization with which it is surrounded, but rather rejoicing in the message of the angels. To me, today, is born my Savior. Hallelujah. <clears throat>